0: We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of this land, the Bunurong people, and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. We recognise and respect their continuing connections to climate,
1: culture and country.
2: and conversations with the team at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I am Rowandi and in this episode, Robin and April discuss about the Australian author Helena Fox's debut novel, How It Feels to Float. Lee will give us an update on programs at Greater Dandenong Libraries and Rowena give us a book match recommendation on young adult fantasy novels from Australian authors. And lastly, we have two book reviews from library staff, Celine and Gemma. Hope you enjoy.
3: Hi,
4: everyone. I'm Robin, and I'm here today with April. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to have a book chat about How It Feels to Float by Helena Fox. And this is Helena's debut novel. It was published by Pan Macmillan in 2019. It was winner of the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards Prize for Writing for Young Adults in 2020. And it was shortlisted for various other awards, including the Prime Minister's Literary Award for Young Adult Fiction in 2020, and the Children's Book Council of Australia Book of the Year for Older Readers in 2020. Um, Just to begin, April, do you want to give us
3: a bit of an intro to the story? Yes. So Elizabeth Grey, known as Biz, lives in Wollalong with her mum and younger twin siblings. Biz is turning 17 at school and is close to her best friend Grace. They have a lot in common. They have been adopted by the cool group of kids at school who call themselves the posse. And Biz is coping with a lot. She is questioning her sexuality having spontaneously kissed Grace at a pool party, but she is also interested in a new boy at school called Jasper. We regularly see Biz talking to her dad or picturing him in her house and we discover that he died back when she was seven years old. Biz is still grieving over the loss of her dad and finds it comforting that she can still see and hear him and feels close to him. Biz is initially floating through her life, disassociated, But then she starts to sink. Biz is ostracised by her friends over a drunken encounter and subsequent betrayal with one of the boys in her friendship group. After this, things change. Grace ends up being sent away by her parents and Biz loses contact with her. After this, Biz becomes increasingly depressed and drops out of school. Her mum encourages her to attend a photography class where she meets Sylvia, an engaging and lively grandma who strikes up her friendships with her and who also happens to be Jasper's grandma. Mm
5: -hmm.
3: Biz eventually runs away to her dad's hometown to try and find him when he stops appearing to her.
5: Yeah,
4: so this book deals with themes of loss, depression and grief, trauma and mental illness. It explores what it's like forbids to be going through all of that and trying to find a way forward through her grief and trauma, um, there are people there to help her. There's there's lots of her. She has her mum. She's got her twin brother and sister, um, and there are some really. Um, even though the themes are very dark, there are some really. Um, wonderful friendships that come out of this book mm. um, and in many ways friendship is one of the things that saves is very much
3: so. Um, yeah.
4: yeah so I'd like to talk about some of the the relationships that were um, developed in the book mm. um, firstly I guess with her relationship with Grace Grace is the first of her friends that we meet um
3: what did you think about Grace Well, to begin with, it was almost like they had a sister-type relationship. They were so close. They did everything together. Um, But when we meet Grace and Biz at this point in the book, it seems like there's some tension amongst the friendship. Mm. And um, Biz is feeling very self-conscious around Grace um, due to the fact that they've kissed and she doesn't know what that means and they haven't talked about it really and then when they do have a discussion and grace says she just sees biz as a friend Mm. that's a very hard moment for biz and she doesn't want to lose her friend but she's also very confused about her feelings and so really you know you really feel for biz and grace i think wants to keep being Biz's friend you see that later on when she stands up for Biz and walks away from the posse mm. and from her friends so that she can be there for Biz. But it's that relationship is also part of Biz's trauma because then when Grace goes away, Biz just spirals downwards and, you know, it's very hard for her because she's mm. lost the closest person I guess she had in yeah. A friendship.
4: Yeah, they were very close. And I, I really did feel um, for Biz when things... Um, changed and and grace um left because she kept on even trying to contact yes um grace emailing her even though she was getting no response at times she'd be thinking about oh if i if i was talking to grace now how would this conversation play out as if she was still there um, because she was sort of a sounding board in many ways um and you know and she was going through all of these feelings which she didn't talk about with other people yeah. even grace even yeah. though they were so close but she was sort of there to kind of um you know bring her back into into reality a mm-hmm. bit more yeah. um so yeah that was a really big thing when that when that relationship and that friendship um sort of was curtailed
6: yeah very yeah. much so
4: yeah Another um, main relationship in the book she had was with Jasper, who was the the new boy at school, um, and he was an interesting he was an interesting character. seemed quite sort of aloof at first. Um, you know, not uh, um, Biz noticed him, but he didn't seem to have that much um, interaction with her. He was a new kid at the school, so he was a little bit on the sidelines. And I guess. they also
3: had a not so great introduction as well when they pretty much became enemies straight away when they first met mm. and you know Jasper didn't want anything to do with Biz and Biz didn't want anything to do with Jasper and then that all changed at the beach when he saved her.
4: Mm. Yeah there was a, um, a point in the story where um, Biz was becoming very overcome by all of her thoughts. Um, she was at the beach, she was walking into the water Um, she felt like the water was talking to her and she was kind of feeling these feelings of wanting to go under the water and um, you know perhaps not not resurface Um, and Jasper appeared and literally literally saved her yes so that was a real um, turning point in their yeah but then it was
3: really hard because there was this big moment where Jasper saved her and then just disappeared out of her life again. Mm, and, mm. you know, she was left with this, this person saved me, but where are, where is he? Mm, and there mm. was this miscommunication and confusion. And it wasn't until she met Sylvia that that relationship with Jasper began again. Mm. So,
4: Yeah, that was strange, isn't it? Um, yeah. But quite authentic, I think. Yes. That, you know, you can imagine those kind of things happening where they're both sort of thinking different things he's thinking oh she doesn't really like me anyway and yeah. she doesn't you know she doesn't want to be involved with me so I'll leave her I'll give her a space yeah but he's she's thinking this guy's saved my life and now he's kind of blanking me yeah <laughs> he disappeared
3: yeah and even that moment where she messages him on um, I think it's Facebook or mm. messages on social media and he doesn't reply and then when she sees him at Sylvia's house he goes oh yeah I got your message and mm-hmm. then it was just mm-hmm. sort of you know you felt for biz you were like well why did you write back mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: yeah those kind of awkward yes. um, moments that can occur in any kind of exactly. friendships, but particularly teenage friendships, Yeah, I think. so it
3: was very realistic in that yeah,
4: sort of sense. Yeah, yeah. And their their um, relationship, I felt, developed in quite a sort of humorous one. Yeah. Once they did start connecting, they had a lot of banter yeah. and it was really kind of quirky and, you know, funny. Some of the lighter bits in the book were when they were chatting to each other.
3: Very much so. And I what I loved about Jasper was he... He took Biz for who she was. Mm. He wasn't gonna try and change her. He, you know, it was obvious that Biz um, was suffering from a mental illness, mm. and he didn't, you know, try to stop her from doing anything. He didn't um, try to say, "Oh, you've just got to cheer up." Or mm. Mm. he supported her through anything that she went through, and he, he was one of the people that saved her, I think.
4: Yeah, yeah. And um, his grandma, Sylvia, um, I really enjoyed her character as well and
3: she was such a cool grandma
4: she was a very cool grandma yeah. i imagined her in like you know very sort of bright colorful yes. clothing i don't i'm not actually sure whether they described what she looked like not in the so book.
3: much but i just imagine like pink hair yeah and, yeah know, really like cool. maybe
4: you know colorful glasses yep. you know yeah a bit yep. sort of out there yeah um so she was a very nice lively character and she Um, met biz at the photography class and so they were doing that together they had that as an interest but then she really took biz under her wing um and she gave her that same sort of similar sort of support as jasper you know although she was the grandmotherly figure in that she was just there for her yes she didn't she didn't advise her she didn't expect too much of her
3: she was just there to talk to her and I yeah. loved that as well. There were some beautiful moments in this book where Biz finally talks about how she's feeling and, you know, starts to talk about her depression with Sylvia. Mm. And Sylvia just puts her hand on Biz's mm. and just lets her talk. Yeah. It doesn't interrupt her, doesn't tell her what to do, just supports her. Yeah. It's really yeah. nice. It was a lovely moment
4: and um, I think, yeah, because Viz had really not opened up to anyone um, about how she was feeling, um, you know, not her mum, not, not Jasper, um, that that was very realistic but very sad that she was had to keep all of this um, for herself um, and she wasn't yet at a place where she could open up about her trauma. But um, yeah, Sylvia was there for her. She was there with the tea and the muffins and the vegan lasagna yes. and, and, and yeah, everything yeah. else
3: and also the photography as well when um, so biz began the photography classes as a way to um, move forward mainly mm-hmm. for her psychologist and for her mum so that um they felt she was making some progress but when she turned up in the class she automatically found out felt out of place didn't want to do it until Sylvia started to support her. And she ended up learning most of her photography skills from Sylvia, not Mm, in this class. mm, mm. And the photography was very important because it sort of became a safe place. Yeah. When she went into the dark room, she felt comfortable. She felt like she was in control. She was creating moments. But then also the photography became part of her depressive state in a sense that the photos were talking to her Mm. and you know she was connecting to them in a different way and it became like an obsession Mm. she had to see the photos to be able to keep going in a way yeah yeah
4: and she um would often look back at the old um photo albums in her house of of her family that they had of when she was a baby and all of those kind of things so yeah the photography was an important part it was kind of for her when she was taking photos it was, it was literally kind of a lens that mm. she was viewing her life through. Yeah. Um but then it became um yeah much much more much yeah. more complex with that and as you say part of her whole um mental state. Yeah. Which was interesting.
3: But in the same way at the end photography also became a part of what saved her. It gave her a sense of purpose in the mm. end, you know, she, there was the possibility that she would continue photography. Mm. And, yeah, and that connection with Sylvia and photography was really important. Yeah. And there were some really nice moments in the book. Mm. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, The other bit I just wanted to mention was about the twins, Mm. Um, Billy and Dart. Yes. I think they were called. I loved their bits in the story because they were like – a bright spark every now and then yeah. when a lot of the um, the content, you know, was was quite heavy going. Um, they were just this burst of energy now and then that would pop into the story.
3: Very much so. And I loved how open they were in expressing their love. They were very uh, talkative mm-hmm. and they would often go up to biz and tell her how much she, they loved her, what a great sister she was. And it was just really nice because – Uh, they were kind of the only people in the story that were so open in their happy emotions and their love for Biz Mm, and mm. I feel like that was a really warm and nice relationship that Mm. she had yeah
4: yeah it was lovely um because the other person that was we saw a bit of was um um Biz's mum um and I think, you know, the situation was obviously very difficult for her.
3: Yeah, very much so. So um, for a bit of backstory, there was a lot of um, inherited sort of grief and trauma within the family. So Biz's grandfather, um, it's implied that he passed away. Uh, It is sort of implied via suicide. And then um, Biz's dad it's also implied that he passed away by suicide so there's obviously a lot of grief and trauma that hasn't been fully dealt with within the family mm. and so you really see that in business mum as well you know her her need for support and how business downfall also affects her mental well-being mm. and you know it's it highlights a need for resources to support people that are supporting People with mental illness as well. Yeah. So, you know, Biz is seeing a psychologist, um, you know, she's got pathways to try and help her. But I felt like Biz's mum was sort of forgotten about a little bit and she was so busy worrying about Biz that she didn't get help that perhaps she needed as well. Mm.
4: Yeah. And and also, the book is very much from Biz's perspective. Yeah. So I, I suppose in that sense, I didn't mind that it was kind of concentrated on her from her point of view and really we're, we're seeing what's going on in yeah. her head um, which was a bit confusing at times but um, I sort of didn't mind that aspect. Um, there was one bit in the story where um, uh, Biz and her mum were having an argument and Biz accuses her mum of not helping her dad. Yes. Uh, not helping your dad enough, that really hit so me. You felt so bad for the mum. Yeah, I did yeah. too. I thought, oh, boy, that is really cutting. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really cutting remark. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, at that point, I definitely felt for the mum. But, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Um, it does show how, you know, mental illness from um, a, one child in the family can affect
3: everyone around her. Within the family, yeah, which is really family. hard. But in saying that, that conversation that Biz had with her mum, it's another example of where this book felt very realistic. Mm. It didn't seem like anything was too dramatised in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, that conversation seemed realistic for Mm, mm. a mother and a child that were trying to deal with trauma and were having an argument. Yeah. Yeah, I just felt it was another example where the – the entire book felt like a realistic situation of someone that was dealing with mental illness. Mm. And I wanted to talk a little
6: bit
4: about the writing style because the way that it was written, I think, was quite unique as well or unique from what I've read. Um, There were some interesting techniques used, like often words would be repeated, like sometimes there'd be even a page of the whole same word, you know, dad, 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 dad. Um, words fused together, um, some sections a bit more like poetry to sort of mimic Biz's scattered thoughts and who she's hearing speaking to her, whether it's her dad or someone from the photograph. Um, I thought that was really effective in Mm. really getting us inside Biz's world.
3: Very much so. And it was, look, it was very abstract, the writing in times. It it moved between first-person narration where Biz is talking about her life, to more inner thoughts narration, which is where you see the, the more poetry sort of style of writing. writing. Mm. Um, I did find the inner thought narration difficult to follow at times, especially in the vital chapters near the end where you find out all this information about her dad and the trauma the entire family has gone through. Mm. So I did have to reread that information a few times to make sense of it all. But once you do... Um, it's really nice because you, you're you given more, you feel like you're going through what Biz is going through, mm. but it's you're experiencing her realisation of what occurred in her family and it's not you just being told as a reader. You sort of have to think about it and create your own interpretation of what you're reading.
4: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I felt the same. There was bits that I did find a little bit um, confusing as well particularly those scenes with the photos and their dad and a granddad I had to go back and think hang on what's just happened here <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to read that again yeah but overall I, I enjoyed that style of the book and the the way it related or allowed us to relate to business state of mind
3: yeah
4: um I wanted to talk a bit about YA in general as well um, as a genre young adult um, I don't read much YA, but when I do, I usually enjoy it. It's, it's a little bit uncomfortable at times, like in this story, being sort of thrown back into the world of teenagers <laughs> who are navigating so many things around relationships and identity and their place in the world. But I do really um, enjoy the honesty of YA in dealing with issues that affect young people, and I think... Um, this one was particularly, um, poignant and and realistic in that way. Um, and, and usually I find with YA, there is some hope in the ending and, and that doesn't always happen in adult
3: fiction. No, so Um, it is nice. Yeah.
4: And I think it's important that these topics like mental illness are explored so that people know that they're not alone in their experiences.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I also have not read much YA, since I was in my early twenties. And um, I found it interesting how you view YA differently as an adult. Um, I found myself connecting and feeling sorry for the mother in the story and her struggles more than perhaps I connected with Biz. And I think if I read this book as a young adult, I probably wouldn't feel the same way. Mm. Um, I really felt bad for the mother when Biz ran away and can imagine how difficult that would have been for the mum. I felt her confusion and frustration at not knowing how to help her daughter. And I could imagine as a single mum, it would be exceedingly difficult to juggle everything and to help Biz when the mother was obviously still grieving herself and mm. perhaps needed to seek help as well. Yeah. So, but in saying that, this is a novel. It's a fantastic read for young people. As you said, Robin, it explores a lot of complex issues from the perspective of a young person, allowing young people to feel as though they're not alone and that it's possible to ask for and receive help when struggling with a mental illness. This book also discovers, uh, discusses that recovery of a mental illness is not a race and it's okay to not be okay, encouraging young people to ask for help, but it, it's also okay for that recovery to be a gradual process.
4: Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know there is there is hope at the end um, of the story, but we do feel like everything's not miraculously wrapped up, and sure. she's not hasn't or um, all of a sudden become better. She's she's taking one step at a time, and she's concentrating more on the present moment. Um, this kind of floating that she's yes. been doing. is, which is it, a major
3: theme. Yeah, yeah, is of, her yeah.
4: way of coping with reality. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's, she's seeing a psychiatrist and he says to her towards the end that um, she'll learn to become more and more aware of it and she'll be able to kind of bring herself in, back into reality um, when she needs to. So overall, um, I felt... The book was a tough read, um, but ultimately worth it. Um, I did like the unique style of the writing, um, and I felt sort of overall it was like a journey to um, healing and acceptance.
2: Very
3: much so. And like you said, it's a really great read. However, I would recommend it to children age 15 plus just due to the topics explored, including suicide and mental illness?
4: Yeah, some very um dark themes that it, it deals with, so that definitely has to be acknowledged. Um but I think ultimately, yeah, we both agreed that it was it was very validating, um and a very um poignant piece of work.
3: Yeah. And you you know, you really connected with the characters within the book and um, it, it felt like a journey, but it felt like a hopeful journey, mm. which was nice, and yeah. that's how you want a book to wrap up. And I feel like it would give hope to a lot of readers who are reading it that are perhaps suffering from a mental illness as mm. well.
4: Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, thanks so much, April. It's no, been thank really you. great to talk about this book with you today. It's yeah. the kind of book that you want to talk about really yeah. um, because there's so much in it um, and such important um, subjects that it's covering.
3: So yeah. it was really great to have the chat. No, thank you, Robin. It was great.
4: How It Feels to Float is available as an e-book and a physical copy to borrow from the libraries.
2: And now, Lee will give us an update on programs at Greater Dandenong Libraries.
6: There's a lot going on here at Greater Dandenong Libraries. You may have noticed we're now on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for at Greater Dandenong Libraries to get the latest book recommendations, news about upcoming events and workshops, and to ask us questions about our library services. We cannot wait to hear from you. Also in the libraries, we have a huge Libraries After Dark series coming in Term 2. If you've been missing live music in Dandenong then come along on May 12th and May 19th for our partnership with GRID series to see Alora and Jackie Toot perform and chat about their songwriting. We also have our pop-up reading circle on May 12th at Springvale Library where you can bring along your favourite books to share and discuss while meeting new people. We also have some great arts and crafts workshops such as paper crafts, macrame plant hangers and even a poetry workshop with Hasib Hurani. And if that wasn't enough, throughout May and June we are hosting three financial literacy workshops at Dandenong and five business workshops in collaboration with Business Victoria at Springvale Library. Check out our website at greaterdandenong.vic.gov.au forward slash libraries to find out more and to register your place.
2: Next up, we have bookmatch recommendation from Rowena on young adult fantasy novels written by Australian authors. Hi, I'm Rowena. I'm a member of the Children and Youth Services team here
0: at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I'm really excited to be sharing today's bookmatch with you as it covers one of my absolute favourite genres, young adult, otherwise known as YA, fantasy. This book match was prepared for a young patron in their late teens who was looking for some new releases from Australian YA fantasy to read. They're really mature and keen to read something engrossing and page turning that they haven't come across before. They wanted magic, great worlds to dive into, and maybe just a touch of romance. These are the five books I recommended for them, which are all unputdownable YA fantasy written by Australian authors. To begin with, the first book I'd like to recommend is The Other Side of the Sky by Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner. Amy Kaufman lives in Melbourne. Uh, Megan Spooner, her co writer, lives in North Carolina in the US. Together, they're also the authors of These Broken Stars and the rest of the Starbound trilogy. The Other Side of the Sky was released in September 2020 and it's a sweeping epic story of star-crossed lovers who can't touch. A really fascinating interplay between a world of technology and a world that feels much older, full of magic and powerful gods. The chapters interweave between the main characters, North and Nim's point of view and this style works really, really, really well. The two worlds are drawn incredibly vividly and North and Nim are such engaging heroes you just get swept along by the story and it feels like you're sitting at the edge of your seat at the movies watching it all happen in giant technicolour life in front of you. This is a perfect book for fantasy lovers who want something totally epic, a great love story that really pulls you into its orbit without ever being soppy and the fascinating tension between a world of technology floating in the sky above and a world of magic and mystery below. It's also worth noting The Other Side of the Sky is book one in a duology, and the second book, Beyond the End of the World, was released in January 2022, and is also really brilliant. The second book I'd like to recommend is Rise by C.S. Pacat, C.S. Picat is a Melbourne-based writer and the author of the best-selling adult trilogy Captive Prince. Dark Rise, the first in a new series, came out in September 2021 and is Pikat's first novel for young adults. It was recently listed as a 2022 CBCA Notables book for older readers, so you know we're in good territory here. I found Rise complex and riveting from start to finish. Set in 1821 in an alternative London where powerful magic has long been forgotten, the book takes the classic story arc of high fantasy series, like Lord of the Rings, where good battles evil, and turns and twists it into a new and really unexpected shape. I don't want to give anything away, but there are some really brilliant and very unexpected twists in Dark Rise. And yet, what's so lovely is that we still get all the classic set pieces we want from high fantasy sword fights, romance, and here Dark Rise gives us some really brilliant and complex queer themes. Fallible yet staunch friends fighting back to back. A really fabulous uh, female main character. There are two main characters. Are Will and Violet, Huge Acts of Magic, and a Riddle like Prophecy that Must Be Deciphered. This is a perfect YA book for anyone who loves classic English based fantasy and myth like The Dark is Rising and The Lord of the Rings, or gripping fantasy where the tension just grows and grows and grows and never lets you go. There is a content warning though for Dark Rise. There's some fairly graphic violence, so I would say only read it if you feel like you're able to cope with that. Book three that I'd like to recommend is The Interrogation of a Sharla Wolf by Amberlyn Quamelina. Okay, my first point is that this did come out in 2012, so I appreciate that it's not a new release, but it's just so, so good, I think it's really worth a recommendation. Amberlyn quay is an Aboriginal writer and illustrator who comes from the Paliku people of the Pilbara region in Western Australia. She's the author and illustrator of a number of award-winning picture books. The Interrogation of Charla Wolf is book one in a trilogy called The Tribe and was shortlisted for the 2012 Aurelius Awards. So again, we know we're in fab territory. I just adored The Interrogation of Charla Wolf. The story is a gripping page-turner that starts us in a future dystopia where giant dinosaur-like lizards roam the open plains and people cling to the remains of civilization in the cities but becomes more imbued with fantasy and magic the deeper we get into the book. There's beautiful mythology and magic woven into the book that reminds me of that really awesome TV show Clever Man that was on ABC a few years ago. There's a really tender romance, some really fierce female friendships, and magic used in unexpected and really interesting ways that I haven't seen or read of in any other fantasy. This is a perfect YA book for anyone who wants a fantasy that feels a bit closer to home, it has a deep connection to the landscape and the magic within, or loves a really gripping dystopian future. I absolutely loved this book and I just cannot recommend it enough. Book four for my recommendations is The Prison Healer by Lynette Noni. Lynette Noni is an Australian author and she's the best-selling and award-winning author of the Medoran Chronicles. The Prison Healer came out in March 2021, and it's the first in a new fantasy trilogy. Right from the start. The prison healer sort of wraps its story around us, closing us in with main character Kiva and the other inmates in the death prison uh, where they live. And we live with them inside the prison and we can only dream like they do of what exists beyond the walls. That might sound a bit claustrophobic, but strangely it isn't. The world that Noni builds within the within the prison is just so complex and gripping that you just have to keep reading. There are a lot of big twists and turns in this book and it ends on a really major revelation uh, which sets us up perfectly for book two. This is a great YA book for anyone looking for epic blockbuster fantasy from one of Australia's biggest fantasy writers. It's got really wonderfully drawn characters I would say keep an eye out for the young boy called Tip, he's my favourite. A very real, unlikely heroine who steps in when she realises no one else will. A burgeoning romance, some really great banter, and some cool magic that comes from really unexpected sources. I've also read the sequel, The Gilded Cage, uh, which came out recently, and I'm really looking forward to reading the final book in the trilogy. The Blood Traitor, when it comes out in a few months. My final book for this book recommendation is called Only a Monster by Vanessa Len. Vanessa Len is an Australian author of Chinese, Malaysian and Maltese heritage. Only a Monster is her debut novel and it came out in February 2022. So it's really, really new release. And my goodness, is it brilliant. I've left this one till last because it's the most recent release, but also because it's my current favourite book. I'm really obsessed with it. Only a monster is set in modern day London, but within the first few pages, we quickly realise we're headed somewhere else. This is a story that takes the classic hero versus monster story and turns it on its head. Joan is our main character, and I just adore her as the anti-hero who is pushed into a fate she didn't choose. She's so real and funny and flawed, you can't help cheering her on, even though you know in this story, she isn't the hero. As a half-monster, half-human, Joan's on the edges of the monster world, and there are things, like monster magic, that come with rules and consequences that no one has ever told her about. And so as Joan goes on the run, forced to dive deeper into the monster world, she can't possibly predict what's coming, and neither can we. I highly recommend this book for anyone looking for a gripping page turner that will keep you reading right through the night. It's got monster magic, you'll just have to read the book to discover what that is. A first kiss, the best anti-hero you've ever met, and a hero you might actually die for. I hope you've been intrigued by my five picks for some of our best fantasies. If you enjoy fantasy, if you're in your late teens or if you're an adult, I highly recommend you pick up one of these books and give them a try. Enjoy your reading.
2: And now, Celine and Gemma give us book reviews on love objects and a story about cancer with a happy ending. My
5: name is Céline, and I work for the City of Greater Dandenong Libraries. Today, I will be reviewing a book, Love Objects, by Emily Maguire. It was published in March 2021 by Alan and Unwin. The story gravitates around Nick, a single woman in her mid-40s with no children. Nick is a proud checkout chick who is outspoken and has a quirky sense of humour. She's a wonderful aunt to Lena and Will, both in their 20s. Nick also has a particular connection to objects. The book starts with Nick finding a baby bonnet on the street and immediately feels the need to rescue it and give his baby bonnet the love and attention it deserves. Once at home, Nick looks for the perfect spot for a new find, a decision she can't rush. That's when the reader realizes that Nick lives in a house so crowded with objects that it's difficult for her to move around freely. Nick sees all the possessions she has accumulated over the years, not just like objects, but like precious belongings that tell stories and hold memories. Nick feels a duty and obligation to take care of objects that have been discarded and to give them a new home where they will be loved. When Nick suffers a fall in a house caused by the mass of clutter and taken to hospital, her niece Lena is confronted with the extent of her aunt's hoarding. At the same time, Lena grapples with her own issues after a video of her having sexual intercourse is leaked online. Lena occupied herself with the enormous task to clean up her aunt's house and make it livable, a condition required by Nick's social worker. A third character is Will, Lena's brother. Also in his late in his also in his twenties, Will has lost his job And is coping with a relationship breakdown. He spends his last dollar on a plane ticket and flies to Sydney to help his sister cleaning up Nick's house. Love Objects is beautifully written. Emily Maguire writes about hoarding with a lot of compassion and authenticity. She transports us in the mind of each character in such profound way that Nick, Lena and Will became part of my life while I was reading the book. Also, love objects deals with issues regarding mental illness, loneliness, class, belonging and grief. The story is filled with humor, wit and tenderness. I couldn't recommend this book highly enough. I loved it.
1: A Story About Cancer With a Happy Ending is a graphic novel written by India Desjardins, a French-Canadian writer. Just a heads up, this novel covers topics that might be triggering to some readers, including cancer, death and suicidal thoughts. The story is based upon a teenage cancer patient who the author met at a Canadian hospital. The girl was frustrated that most stories about teenagers like her usually didn't end well and instead she wanted to just read a story about a cancer patient like her, which had a happy ending, and thus India decided to write this book. The story centers around a pivotal moment in the 15-year-old girl's life, in which she is waiting for an appointment with her oncologist. She is expecting for a doctor to tell her how long she has to live. And while she waits, she reflects upon her life up until this moment, on her experiences with love, her relationship with death, and how those around her have attempted and sometimes fallen short to support her. The story is accompanied by beautiful watercolour paintings. The illustrator, Marianne Ferrer, paints the protagonist in grey, symbolising her lack of vitality stemming from her illness and its treatments. Meanwhile, she paints the world around around her in vibrant purples and maroons. My main takeaway from the novel was the importance of engaging with the concept of death, as doing so will allow us to better support those who are facing this inevitable part of life. For many of us and the characters in the novel, death is a really uncomfortable topic, so it's natural to shy away from it, and we often have preconceived ideas about what death should be and who it should affect. So we don't usually think of death as something that should be plaguing a teenager who's barely been able to experience life. And thus, when death comes so close to someone so young, we're often not equipped with the tools or emotional maturity to support them through it. Many adults in the novel try to reassure the protagonist by telling her that she's strong enough to survive the disease, but this only makes her feel worse, as it implies that if she does succumb to cancer, it'll be because she didn't try hard enough to fight it. Furthermore, the protagonist is able to sense that others are uncomfortable around her and she feels that this is because others know of her close proximity to death, but they don't know how to process this. At the end of the day, the protagonist just wants to be treated like a normal person, like anyone else, despite this proximity to death. Overall, a story about cancer is an honest yet hopeful account of what it's like to go through cancer as a teenager. The novel doesn't shy away from the dark and uncomfortable aspects of experiencing a life-threatening illness, but it does remain hopeful that recovery is possible. And I really hope that any young person experiencing a chronic or life-threatening illness will feel really seen and validated upon reading this
2: novel. Thank you for listening. You can check out the show notes for more information on all the items we mentioned in the podcast and you can place holds on them via the Libraries Victoria app or at our website greaterdandidong.vic.gov.au forward libraries.